Hey, good morning. So this song's a little different. Uh, Kurt Asbury wrote this song during some uh, times with his friends and family, and they were talking about some rough times they had went through. But more importantly, they talked about how kind God is. Jamie always talking about being kind, right? Put the buggy back at Walmart and all that stuff, right? But these guys, the more they talked about what was going on, the more they talked about how, how really kind God is to us. Sometimes marriages don't work and Sometimes babies cry and Sometimes rehab turns to relapse And you're left just asking why And for all the prayers I'll pray I still know that he's real and If he is, how is he choosing Who he does and doesn't heal tried to run from Jesus, started holy wars. I've tried to patient waiting and to kick it down the doors. And I've cursed his name in anger with my fist raised to the sky. And in return, all he's ever been is kind. I've burned my share of bridges I've learned to tuck my tail and run I've watched the wreckage in the rear view From all the crooked things I've done And I know that he forgives me But it's hard to forgive myself I can't help but think amazing grace Is for everybody else tried to run from Jesus I've started holy wars I've tried to face your waiting and the kicking down the doors I've cursed his name in anger with my fist raised to the sky and in return all he's ever been is kind All he's ever been is kind. And I know I wasn't there. But when I look up at the cross, I see the darkest day in history. I guess that's what kindness calls. I tried to run from Jesus. I started holy wars. I've tried to patient you waiting and the kicking down the doors. And he knows I don't deserve it, but he's never changed his mind. And in return, all he's ever been is kind. All he's ever been is kind. All he's ever been is kind. I think we could all testify to the fact we know that we serve a holy, loving, just, and righteous God. But in his patience, his long-suffering, and in his kindness, it leads us to repentance. And the good news is that today, if you're in this place, it's not too late. If you do not know him, our prayer is that you do. If you've wandered away, know that he is ready to welcome you back. So uh, we rest in that promise today. We want to welcome you here to East Taylorsville Baptist Church. So good to see you in the sanctuary this morning. And uh, just a couple of things I need to announce. Uh, first of all, for our, our, those that are visiting with us, please don't rush away today. 
Um, we may have some visiting today. Maybe you're looking for a church home, uh, or maybe it's been a while since you've been here, but we would love to get some information in your hands, and you can pick up a guest bag located in the vestibule or the lobby in the Jennings Building. We'd encourage you to pick that up and take just a minute to fill out the care card or um, scan the QR code so we can have a record of your visit. But just a few announcements. As you all know, November, December around here gets pretty busy, and uh, in the midst of everything going on, uh, we don't want to highlight, highlight one thing over another, but just to make you aware that next Sunday uh, is kind of our kickoff for Christmas in Teeville. This year, there's two options that we're going to provide for the church. If you would like to help uh, provide Christmas specifically to children through Taylorsville Elementary, we've just been made aware of the needs and have the list. And next Sunday, in the lobby in the Jennings Building, if you would like to individually purchase specific gifts and then bring those back, kind of like the angel tree. Those will be available on a table in the lobby next week. Uh, for some of you, like I am staying away from Walmart or the mall anywhere, and you would just like to give. we got ladies that, um, that spend a lot of time shopping and very good shopping, and they will purchase that for you. So you can give or you can purchase a gift you, for you specifically. So that will be available in the lobby, and you'll hear more about that over the coming weeks. And then, of course, we've got our shoebox party coming up later this month. There's two nights to be aware of. Number one is the Wednesday before the 17th or 18th. Can't remember the date. Sunday before Thanksgiving. We're having a Wednesday night to set up, so we need all hands on deck other than the choir. Uh, our adults and children and youth will all be putting shoeboxes together, setting up tables, and then our shoebox party will be that Sunday night. And that's for church-wide participation, and we hope that you will make a note of that. And then finally, Lisa's asked if I could request help. They need help in the nursery for extended session right now. So if you're not serving and would like to serve, that's one Sunday per month. You can see Lisa Powell or contact the church office and we'd love to get you plugged in. But right now, after all that, please stand. If you would turn to your neighbor, welcome them to the service and say, I'm glad announcements are over.
come to this time of prayer, I want to share this verse out of 1 Peter chapter 5. And in our study through 1 Peter, we'll get to this section of Scripture um, pretty soon. But listen to what he says, and this deals with prayer. He said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, this is our attitude, attitude toward prayer and just life in general. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And then he says this, casting all your care, and that word could be anxiety or worries or situations or trials or suffering. He says, if you'll humble yourselves in that and come before God and give those to him, understand that he cares for you. So at this prayer time, as the praise team leads us, I don't know what you're going through. Maybe things are going good in your life. You may just want to come and thank God for that. But there are a lot of people in our church that are hurting. We have many in the hospital, many who have uh, lost loved ones. You can lift them up in prayer. Pray for yourself. Pray for this service today. But it all starts with humbling, humbling yourselves under the mighty hands of God. So as they lead us in this time of prayer, if you'll meet me here at this altar, let's pray together this morning. Fathers, we come to you in prayer, Lord, as best we can. Lord, as human beings, we humble ourselves before you. Lord, every person represented here this morning has something that they're going through or have gone through. Lord, we first and foremost want to thank you that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, that you have the power. Lord, as Byron and, and they sung about this morning, Lord, the kindness that you showed toward us. Father, it's your goodness that leads to repentance. Father, it's also your goodness that gets us through these times. And Father, I pray that you would touch in ways that only you can. Father, bring healing to those that need your touch. Lord, to those that will not be healed, Lord, I pray that their grace would be sufficient for what they're facing. Father, I just want to praise you and thank you for so many prayers that have been answered in the last couple of years here. Uh, Lord, uh, we've just seen that on display. And Lord, we just thank you and praise you for it. I pray that we'd not get apathetic toward the great things that you do for us. And Father, we want to thank you for how you're going to answer the prayers that are prayed today in each and every heart. And Father, we pray for this service that you be honored and glorified through all that's said and done. I pray that during the uh, benefit barbecue, that Lord, a lot of money would be raised to help a special family. And I want to thank you for the generosity and the love that this church shows. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd bless every, every dime that is given. I pray that you'd bless it to the overflow. People that give out of their businesses, I pray that you'd bless their businesses. People that give out of their uh, profit, Lord, I pray that you'd give them more profit. People that give out of their poverty, Lord, you bless them and help them to, uh, Lord, have their needs met. Lord, I just pray that you would show up in a mighty way and just bless those who give today. Lord, it's a sacrificial gift that we're giving today. Lord, it's an act of worship. Lord, just as we tithe each week, Lord, it's an act of worship. And Lord, we help another person in the body of Christ. through all that's said and done and we love you today Father in Jesus name I pray Amen
Jesus is mine. He's been the fourth man in the fire time after time. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. And what he did for me on Calvary is more than enough. I trust in
Is my mic working, guys? Chick, chick, chick. Yeah, it's working. Let's give the, the choir another hand clap. There, that was a blessing. What a great song. You know, the Bible says the Bible says that even whenever we remain faithless, that God is faithful. And you'll see that in your life. Even when you doubt, even when you struggle with sin, and even when you think that you've done too much for God to forgive you, in His faithfulness, the Bible says that He is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse and do all those things. So we're so thankful for that. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 and stand with me. And as you're standing, we're going to look at one verse this morning. Uh, I just want to make note of something. As soon as the service is over, of course, you'll be dismissed to the Jennings building. Uh, we have a takeout line. We have a line for you to stay. We have out enough chairs and tables for everybody. This will be the first time that we've even actually offered a set-down meal after church since COVID. So we hope that you'll stay. Uh, we have about 30 cakes to auction off, um, and, and we're going to allow you to buy those online. So I would encourage the men that are going to auction those cakes, as soon as everybody's seated, start auctioning them, because it's going to take a long time. Um, don't wait until everybody's done eating and then they leave. I know that some of you will be tempted just to get a plate and go home and watch football. You'll be out of here by 1230. You're going to be out of here by 1130. You'll go down there, get your food, and then you can be done by 1230. We haven't had a set-down meal, like I said, in three years. So I would encourage you to stay, get to know somebody, uh, shake hands with people, just let them know um, how much you love them. But what a tremendous opportunity to help Cindy Lou and her family. They've been so faithful here you know, they drive every time they come to church from Moravian Falls. They go to a lot of churches over there. And they've been here longer than I have. So I'm just so thankful for them. They have a great need. So please, in your heart of hearts, please bless them uh, today financially. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 18. We're going to look at just one verse today. There's three things we're going to look at in this, in this verse today. And um, notice what the Bible says. For Christ also suffered. Remember, Peter has been talking about suffering. We looked at that last time, and I'm not talking about trials, okay? We all go through trials. He's talking about the, when he writes this letter to these people scattered 750,000 square miles over Asia Minor, all right? What he's saying is you're suffering because of your faith in Jesus, okay? He's saying you're suffering because you've placed your faith in Jesus. So when you see suffering in here, he's talking about that. Now, there'll be times he'll talk about trials, and because of your suffering, these trials have come. All right, He is talking about you're being persecuted in some way, form, or fashion because of your faith, which to us seems odd. All right, He says, but he's, he makes this, this example, Jesus suffered the same way for the same reason, even more so. He says, for Christ also, look at the word suffered. You know, we think, of, now some of your translations say, says died. And the reason you have two different words and two different translations is because that suffering that Jesus suffered led to his death. But he suffered up until the point he died. See, we think about Jesus' death, but do you understand his suffering? And see, you're here today if you're born again today because Jesus Christ, not only did he die, but there are parts, major parts of his life on earth that he suffered greatly. Suffered because of, because of you. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Jesus died once, which means when you get saved, you get saved once. One Lord, one baptism, one faith, once. The Jews every year would have to kill a lamb. Jesus died once. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world once. So, so what, I say that to say this. We're going to talk about our sins. When you get saved, you're saved once, forever. You can't change it. It's a legal term. It's a legal transaction. Your sin and your performance can't change it. Aren't you thankful? I would lose my salvation every day, all right? Because I get behind some of y'all in traffic. I do, all right? You would lose your salvation. You would. So don't come to me and say, man, I'm doubting my salvation because I did this sin. No, 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 no. You got a bad theology. You're going to get taught the Bible here. You're saved forever, forgiven forever, regardless of your performance. Live your life in liberty, amen? Love your salvation. All right, we're going to talk about expiation and propitiation. Two beautiful words. And why does that happen? Because Jesus died for sin how many times? Once. He died for sins for all times. Once. The just for the unjust. He was so just. And we're so unjust. If you understand the word unjust, that's who you were. Right? The best of us are unjust. 
that he might, now look at this, this is so important, bring us to God. And that's all we're going to look at. You know what that word means? That means that the only way you get to meet somebody is that you know somebody else that brings you to meet somebody. You ever been in that situation? Okay, that's what we're going to talk about. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, all that matters this morning is your word. My opinion does not matter. My convictions do not matter. Lord, your word is holy. It is inspired. It is infallible. Lord, only your word through the Holy Spirit can convict and change lives. Lord, I wish I could get so emotional at an invitation that people just get saved. But Lord, that's not how salvation works. So Father, if there's anyone here today who has never placed their faith in the resurrected Christ, through your Holy Spirit and through your word, I pray that you'd save them today. Lord, for those of us that are saved, that we've allowed the devil and the world and family and friends to beat us up because we're not as good as they are, Lord, help us to have some victory today. I'm thankful that you died for sins once. And Lord, help us to gain a greater appreciation for the sufferings that you endured. Lord, you endured emotional sufferings, physical sufferings like most person, and then, Lord, spiritual sufferings. There's no comparison on this side of heaven for that. So, Father, I pray that you would teach us today, change us today. And, Father, I pray that you be honored and glorified through all that's said and done. And we love you today, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. And all the God's people said together. Amen. These Christians were suffering. Chapter 1, verse 16, Peter says this, You have been distressed by various trials. In verse 7, he says, You are being tested by fire. And when Peter says you are being tested by fire, when you see words like that, James, the Lord's brother, used those terms. He's saying God's allowing this in your life to make you more like Jesus. That's exactly what that means. In, verse, in chapter 2, verse 12, we've looked at this. He says you're being slandered by the evildoers in the society in which you live. That's what he says. Verse 18, he says, obviously some of you will be treated in an unreasonable way by those who are over you. You will suffer unjustly. He says, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. And basically what Peter is trying to do, his, his reoccurring theme is this, simply living in the midst of suffering. He says, I want you to know how to view suffering. If you want to know how to view suffering, then look at Jesus. He suffered. So he's trying to encourage them, and I want to encourage you this morning. So the first point is this. Christ suffered and died. Look at that term, suffering. In Luke chapter 22, verse 15, notice what Jesus says. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Notice the word suffer. That includes all aspects of suffering. Not just dying on the cross, that was one part of it. Jesus suffered like no man uh, 1 Peter 1.11, Peter says this, that the, Peter says the prophets of Old Testament testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. Now notice what Paul says when he stood before Agrippa in Caesarea in Acts, 22 verse, or Acts 16 verse 22. Paul says this, I say no one other than those things which Moses and the prophets said should come that Christ should suffer. So Paul says this, we know that the Old Testament... Moses and the prophets said that when the Messiah comes, he's going to suffer like no man. So Jesus suffered in three major ways. Number one was the emotional suffering that he went through, which a lot of people don't talk about. And Luke, who was a doctor, Dr. Luke, in Luke 12, 50, says this. He quotes Jesus saying, I have a baptism to undergo, and that's just what he was going through. And how distressed I am until it is accomplished. So look at the word distressed. Now, I've said I'm distressed before. Imagine Jesus saying that. I am distressed. There's a, lot, there's a lot of emotional suffering in that word. He says, one person said this about emo, the, emotion, the emotional suffering of Jesus. By emotional suffering, I'm referring to the sense of abandonment Jesus experienced on the cross. Everyone abandoned him. Now think about that for a moment. When Jesus was on the cross, everyone abandoned him but his mother, one disciple, and some other ladies. At his deepest, darkest need. Now imagine being on your deathbed. Nobody there. I've been there with people. I've been the only one there with people before. It's sad. You know, you want the people you love the most there when you need them the most, right? Jesus was abandoned. He says, imagine if you're going through a tough time in life. Would you rather be alone, abandoned by your spouse, children, and even friends? Or would you rather have someone alongside? The answer is obvious. Even one person close is such a blessing during times of great trial. Yet Jesus was left all alone during the time of the greatest suffering anyone could ever undergo. He faced the greatest emotional pain anyone can face when the Father abandoned him. Jesus said this, My God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? Then when you think about the physical suffering of Jesus, Isaiah prophesied many years, hundreds of years, before Jesus was even born in Isaiah 52, verse 14. He says this, his appearance was marred more than any man's. Now think about that. What Isaiah is saying is that when Messiah comes, he's going to be beat like no man has ever been beaten. The Bible itself does not give many details about the method of a crucifixion. This is how the Bible puts it in Mark. They crucified him. What a horrific way to die. I mean, can you imagine? The death Christ died on the cross was one of absolute torture. Notice all these terms that are used in Matthew, Luke, the Luke's gospel. He was scourged, which meant Jesus was stripped nude in front of Roman soldiers, bent over a stump of half death, probably chained by the hands, and he was beaten with a cat of nine tails. They gave him 40 lashes minus one, probably gave him more than that, until the point that most men died. A lot of men died within the first three blows. That's why when Jesus stood before Pilate after the scourge, and Pilate said, Behold the man, because he took that beating. He was beaten, he was spit upon, and when you spit upon somebody in Jewish society, you mean I reject you and everything you stand for? So it wasn't just saliva. People can wipe that off, right? See, the Jews to this day will spit on Absalom's grave. The Jews to this day, if you witness to them in Jerusalem, they'd spit on you. They'd say, I reject you and your Messiah. And when Jesus was spit on during the, the worst part of his life, they were saying, we reject you. His beard was plucked. He was mocked, stripped naked. Now imagine this. You're dying, and you're stripped nude basically in front of your mama. And you're hanging on a cross. In a public display, and all the worst of the worst came to a crucifixion. Who would go to a crucifixion and watch it? You have the temple here, and you have Calvary here. So Jesus sees all the religious uh, symbols of, of Judaism and he's dying on a cross with a bunch of winos and prostitutes around him. All the while, hanging on a cross, nude in front of his mom, people cussing him. Both thieves on the cross started cursing him. Everybody rejecting who he is. People looking at him, making fun of his body, probably his mom. And all the while, there are men on the cross, probably pushing themselves up and down. And at the foot of their cross is excrement and, and saliva. What a brutal way to die. Dogs are always at a crucifixion. The term excruciating means out of the cross, and a good Jewish person never said that term. You never said this headache's excruciating. Oh, they wouldn't, they wouldn't take it. You don't say those terms. As a matter of fact, it was so bad that the historian Josephus called crucifixion the most wretched of deaths. Cicero, the philosopher, said it is, it is so altogether shameful that good Romans or Greeks should ever mention the cross. It is not fit for good, decent people to make mention of it. Most men at that time would die of asphyxiation, excuse me, I can't speak, which meant they just basically suffocated. Jesus was beaten so badly by the Roman soldiers that no one was asking, is this a servant of the Lord? They were saying, is this a human being? So when you see verse 18, look at it with me again. It says, so Christ also suffered. That's a big term. Because Jesus was suffering and he died. Why did he do it? For the joy, the writer of Hebrews says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He died, he did it because he wanted to glorify God, and he died because he wanted to save us. One person put it this way, maybe you don't feel loved. But whether you feel it or not, you're loved with an everlasting love. Jesus proved it on the cross. Notice point two. Christ suffered and died. Look at the word my. Now, I don't know about your sins and what you've done, but I know what I've done before and after salvation. And I'm so thankful that Jesus died for my sins, past, present, and future. Oftentimes, we'll think that Jesus died for our sins up to salvation, then the sins afterwards are up to us to confess and repent and then be forgiven of. That's not true. Not what that means. Jesus said this, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. David Platt put it this way, the cup is not a reference to a wooden cross. It is a reference to divine judgment. It is the cup of God's wrath. So in order to understand your sins being forgiven, you've got to understand the penalty that God was going to give us is his wrath. Think about the cup that Jesus drank and why he sweat grape drops of blood. David Platt says this, what happened on the cross was not primarily about nails being thrust into Jesus' hands and feet but about the wrath due your sin and my sin being thrust upon his soul. See, the Bible says that God's wrath will be thrust upon every lost person. 
And that, but Jesus took your wrath. He says, in that holy moment, all the righteous wrath and justice of God do us came rushing down like a torrent on Christ himself. Some say God looked down and could not bear to see the suffering that the soldiers were inflicting on Jesus, so he turned away, but this is not true. God turned away because he could not bear to see your sin and my sin on his son. That's why R.C. Sproul or John Stott says, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. Paul, writing to the church at Galatians, church at Galatians said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And when you think about what happened on the cross with our sins, there are two terms I want to talk about just real briefly. The first one is expiation, and that word means the removal of our sin and our guilt. Have you, I've heard people say, I feel like I have a stain on my soul, and I'm like, you can't get rid of that. You can't get rid of that. There's not enough counseling. There's not enough meds. There's not enough alcohol. There's not enough pills. You can't get rid of it. If you read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 where David's confessing his sin with Uriah and Bathsheba, you know what he's saying? I tried to get rid of this guilt. Can't do it. You can't do it. Your sin has to be expiated. That means a removal of sin and guilt. That means to be cleansed. That's a supernatural act that you can't do. You can't do it. You're going to try to do it. You can't do it. Listen, after you're saved, listen to me. You can't do it. I better not do that. You can't do it. You cannot get rid of your guilt. You can't do it. Christ has to do it. In the Old Testament, they used this word unclean, which meant defiled, soiled. Isaiah said this, Before we are saved, our righteous acts, the best that we do, is like filthy rags. And what that means is that they're dung splattered or leper's rags. They were so bad they had to be burned outside the city. That's talking about the best we could do. The Bible continues to use this analogy throughout Scripture that sin is uncleanliness. You remember the woman with the issue of blood? When she comes to Jesus, Jesus is going to Jairus' daughter's house to heal her. And there's this woman, she had it for 12 years. Listen to me. 12 years she had an issue of blood, which meant her menstrual cycle was continuous. Which meant every day of her life for 12 years she was considered unclean. She couldn't have a baby, couldn't have a mate. People could, she couldn't go to worship. She couldn't do anything. She had no hope. And then what happened? She goes up behind Jesus in faith, touches his garment, and Jesus stopped. See, the unclean touched the clean and became clean. You know what Jesus did to her, to her health condition? He healed her. But what did he do to her status? He expiated her sin. He cleansed her. And this unclean woman, they didn't even give her a name. In the story, Jesus is going to Jairus' house, and a woman touched him. They didn't give her a name. She's insignificant. The writer just said the woman, this woman, this issue of blood, snuck around people because they, they consider her unclean, and the unclean touched the clean, and Jesus not only healed her, but expiated her sins. She'd been, she'd been cleansed. The point is, there's no one too messed up, too unclean, too insignificant to get Jesus' attention. There's no one too good or too powerful to not need him desperately. Think about this. I noticed that a common reaction when our soul feels dirty is that people want to take a shower. I've heard of people that have been, that have been sexually molested. I've talked to people before. What did you do afterwards? Took a shower. Just felt so dirty. How did that do? It didn't help, Right? You know what Muslims will do before they do a terrorist act or before they have prayer? They'll wash themselves, try to cleanse themselves. Jews will go through a baptism ritual. Nicodemus did it. He thought he was clean, and Jesus said, you got to be born again. We'll wash our hands. We'll try to wash ourselves. We'll try, to, we'll try to come to church more, right? Well, if I sin bad enough and the guilt's so bad, I'll just come to church more. I'll give more money. That's what I'll do. I'll do more good deeds, and my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. That's not Christianity. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Expiate it. How? He was on the cross and He died. I heard about a young girl who was sexually molested at her home in her bed for years. Finally, they got the guy, it's a true story, got the guy, and she didn't want to leave her home, but that bed, that mattress, just too many bad memories. And someone near and dear to this girl said, come with me. They took that mattress, 
box springs and it just burned it. And he was a good Christian man. He said, listen, that bed, that, that mattress is gone forever. It's gone. And he said this, the only one that can help you with your memories and your past and all this stuff you've been through is Jesus. He's the only one. The blood of Jesus can cleanse us of all that and help us. Only he can. Now, does she need counseling? Of course. Counseling's a good thing. Would she need medication? Probably so. That's a good thing, too. There's nothing wrong with that. But her ultimate need is Jesus. See, some of you, what you're going to do the rest of your life is you're going to try to expiate your own sins. You can't do it. Only Jesus Christ can cleanse your mind, your heart, your soul. Read the Psalms. David would say this, and David, David's a man like me. He's a dude, right? Had good things, bad, you know. David would say this, Lord, my soul trusts in you. <laughs> and what David is basically saying is this, there's not, enough, there's not enough animals in the world to kill, to cleanse my soul. Only Jesus can do that. So when I say this verse, Peter says Christ suffered for sins once, that's a good word. Expiation, propitiation. The word propitiation means to appease God's wrath. Why is that so important? This is what Alexander County needs to hear. We think when we sin, it's like not a big deal to a holy God. Listen to what one person said. Every sin ever committed by every person who has ever lived will be punished. It's going to be. That's why your grandmother, who's such a good person, who's never given her life to Jesus, does not go to heaven. That's why the person who, who gives their lives to a, to, a, to a mission that is not Christian and are basically good people, they don't go to heaven. You know why? Listen, every sin ever committed by every person who has ever lived will be punished. That's a promise. God is holy and God is just. I'm not just. And I'm not holy. I'll forgive you for anything. Almost. Right? God can't because He's just. He can't. He can't go against His justice. When you sin, it has to be punished one way or the other. Either on Christ or on you. Now listen, every sin ever committed by every person who has ever lived will be punished. They will all be punished. The question is how? If the sinner is to escape the punishment, if the sinner is to be delivered from the condemnation for his sin, then God has to be satisfied some other way. You just can't forgive it. You can't. Because it's legal. It's illegal. It's legal. God's wrath will be satisfied. In some cases by sinners in eternal hell paying a just penalty for their sins, or by the faith in the death of Jesus, God's wrath will be satisfied. Listen to what John says. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. It's forever. You have it. It'll never leave. He who does not believe, and that word is apatheo, the Son, shall not see life. But listen to what he says. The wrath of God abides on him forever. Why? Because you have not accepted Christ's sacrifice, and you must bear that wrath. You have to. You have to be punished. His word that is used here is not the common word for believe not. Now listen, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who believes not the Son shall not see life. Now this is very important. It, it, this word it doesn't mean just intellectually believe, it means to disobey. When a man does not believe, he's in disobedience. So if you should be sitting in the audience, this is, this is a quote, and you have not come yet to believe in Christ, you're not in the condition of neutrality, you're disobedient to God. That's why the, he adds, and the wrath of God abides on him. Notice how John puts it here many years later. In this is love. Not that, I'm sorry, next verse. I forgot this one. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Talking about Jesus being the only way to heaven. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. Now look at those words. Okay. Now, Going back to John's gospel in John 3, 36, it said, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe, apatheo, the Son, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And what John and John would say is this, the reason you don't believe is you don't believe God's testimony about Jesus and you're calling him a liar. He goes on to say this, So when we fail to receive the word given concerning Jesus Christ, we're not simply disobedient, we're not, we're not simply we are not simply just disobedient, but we make God out to be a liar because we have not accepted his testimony. So to be saved is to accept the testimony of God concerning Jesus. And nobody likes to be called a liar, right? When Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin and he started speaking the gospel from the Old Testament up to Jesus' death, the Bible says they become convicted. 
That means to be ripped apart. I remember the first time I went to church after the prom in 90, I think. Good looking dude, by the way. I was sitting there and I got convicted. All my heart was ripped apart. I was ripped apart. Now, I was a decent student. Scholar dude at the high school, did real good at CBCC, all those type things. So I'm listening to this preacher and I'm like, if he's right, if he's right, then I'm wrong. And I was under deep conviction. You talk about a battle in your soul. That was the hardest church service I've ever been in my life. And I left lost and I did not believe. And I had to come to the point, is God a liar or is he not? And on October 30th, 1990, about 7.25 p.m., a mile from this pulpit, I surrendered my life to Jesus. And for the first time, I stopped calling God a liar, called myself a liar, living like a lie, okay, and gave my life to Christ. And that's what many of you need to do to this day. And if you do that, right, if you do that, the last thing is so important. I love this, this phrase. If you'll show the last point, Michael. Christ suffered and died for my sins to bring me to God. He says in verse 18, real simple verse, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Now look at that phrase, that he might bring us to God. If you study that in the Greek, basically what it means is this. It describes someone being introduced or given access to somebody else. And without that one person, they don't get to meet the other person. You ever been in a situation like that? Hey, growing up, I don't know if you know, but I'm a Tar Heel fan. I mean, you come to my office. I've always been a Tar Heel fan. And for the first, I don't know, 30 plus years of my life, I was blessed to have Dean Smith as the coach of the Tar Heels. In my opinion, the greatest coach to ever live. Okay? I say that humbly with all, with all due respect to everybody else. And when I started working at Taylor King Furniture, the president of the company's name was Tom Zalagaris, and he played for the Tar Heels. In 1978, he was a captain with Phil Ford. So I would always talk to Tom, and I'd say, hey, Tom, can you take us to a Tar Heel game? And you know what he'd do? He'd take us. He would take us sometimes. No, he never took us, but he would give us tickets. We'd go watch a Carolina football game, walk from the stadium, Keenan Stadium, over to heaven, the Dean Dome, okay, and watch a blue-white basketball game, and then we'd go home all right, for three years. And I kept saying, Tom, Tom, listen, I'd love to meet Dean Smith. You know him. He's got connections. I don't really want to meet the players. I just want to meet Dean. He said, that's impossible, Steele. It's impossible. Then, then one day he said, we're going to the game Saturday. Tar Heels are playing Clemson. Blue White games after. So let's go. Let's go. Me and three other guys went. I got a picture in my office. All right. So we're at the football game. And now Tom's with us. He never went with us. So we're picking on Tom, talking about all this stuff. He said, let's go to the Dean Dome. Right? Heaven. We parked in a different parking space. We parked close. We didn't walk in the Dean Dome. We walked around. There's Carmichael Auditorium. You remember when they used to have the scoreboard and they just turned the score? Wasn't that so awesome? Went by Carmichael. I said, there's Carmichael Auditorium. We go into the, this little office here and there's Warren Martin. And you know, he says, Mr. Zalagares, we got your tickets. You got our tickets? I looked at Tom said, Tom Zalagares. Then Tom says, we're not going up the elevator. We're going in this, this sports office complex. We go into the sports office complex and I see the 1992 National Chip Trophy. Now, I'm from Shook Lane in Tellsville, so I just did what everybody did. I ran over and grabbed it and held it up. I did. Put that down, Steel. Put that down. I said, no, I will not. I'll take it home with me. All right? And we're just looking around. I'm like, this is so beautiful. Everything's Carolina blue. This is so beautiful. And about that time, you hear something. You can sense the, the air changing. You could. And Tom said, there's Dean. You know, we all fell down. No, we didn't do that. But out come Dean Smith. He come out, he took his coat off. And Tom says, Dean, how do you think we're going to be this year? He says, we're not going to be all that good. We don't have many players. He had Jerry Stackhouse and Rasheed Wallace. He went to the Final Four. We're not going to be all that good. So Tom says, can we take a picture? And he introduced us. And I shook Dean Smith's hand. So if you shake this hand, I hadn't washed it since 1998. I'm just kidding. And we got a picture. If you're in my office, I, I was going to show it on the screen, but I look like a Backstreet Boy, so I'm not doing that to myself. <laughs> But Dean Smith's here. I'm right here. Everybody else is kind of spread out like normal people. No, nah, not me. If I'm getting one picture with Dean Smith, I'm getting a picture. So it's like Dean and his Siamese twin, Jamie Steele. So we're just right there, right? And I tell people this. How am I going to meet Dean Smith? How? Shook Lane. I was a, a shipping supervisor in a furniture factory. How am I going to Chapel Hill to meet Dean Smith? I don't, unless I know somebody else, right? 
Listen, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Now, I don't know what life holds for me. I don't know. I may die today. I may be 70, 80, 90, whatever. I don't know. I don't know. But I know one time, if I, one day, if I die before you, you're going to have a funeral for me. I don't know what all that's going to entail. But I do know this. I'm not going to be here. And there's somebody I'm going to meet. And my faith is going to become sight for the first time. Now, I've studied about the Lord. I've preached. I've prayed. I've sang. I've wrote articles. I've, I've, written, I've written papers. I've done all those things. But I've never seen him. But one day, because of my faith in Jesus, on October 30th, 1990, as a 20-year-old young man, I met him by faith. And one day, this faith is going to become sight. And Jesus Christ is going to bring me to God for eternity. Let me ask you a question. The gates of heaven stand wide open for you today. Have you ever in your life placed your faith in the resurrected Jesus? The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you say, that sounds too simple. Listen, if you saw this 20-year-old young man, that's all I knew to do. And God saved me. But if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I would encourage you to do that today. Would you stand with me with every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment? And I'm not going to give a long invitation. If you're here today and you never placed your faith and trust in Christ, if you'll just bow your heads and close your eyes here in the quietness of this moment. Don't, you don't have to pray out loud. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to do any of that. I was not in church when the Lord saved me. In your heart, say, Jesus, today I give my life to you. I give my life to you. Today I ask you to save me. Today I call upon you in faith to remove the wrath and the penalty of sin that I justly deserve. And Lord, I ask you today to save me. And then for Christians here today, you and God knows what's going on in your heart. Thank Him for the expiation of your sins that is forever. Thank Him that He has propitiated God's wrath, which is eternal. Forgive God for trying to perform for Him and make a commitment to live for Him. And thank Him for forgiveness and for grace and for mercy and for second chances. Father, You are our great God. We love You. Father, if there's anyone here today who has never placed their faith and trust in You, I pray that today would be their day of salvation, whether they're here Watching online today or later this week, Lord, save for your honor and for your glory. Father, thank you that I don't have to forgive my sins. That I don't have to perform. Lord, thank you that my sins have been forgiven and only you can cleanse my soul. And you're my only judge. Father, thank you. Help us as Christians to walk in victory. Thank you that the wrath of God was poured out on his son. Lord, it gives me a greater appreciation for the cross. And Father, help us, Lord, to live and share this good news with the lost and dying world. Lord, this is your invitation. These are your people. And I pray that both would bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Sharon leads us in a song. You respond as the Lord leads you this morning. Guys, here's, here's what I'm going to tell you we're going to do. If you're here today, and of course, if you never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, we'll be down in the Jennings building. Now, don't leave yet. In the Jennings building, uh, supporting this family, okay? We're going to encourage you all to stay if you can. If you'd like to talk to me about church membership, about Jesus, about any of those things, please, you can look me up. I'll be one of the last uh, ones through the line. You can talk to me about that. We're going to ask when I bow my head to pray, okay? If you're 70 or older, just go ahead and make your way. You can make your way now if you want to. But show respect to those that are older. Let them go first, okay? All you young people look at me. Teenagers, you should be at the end of the line, all right? Really, I'm being serious. 
You should be at the end of the line with your pastor. I'm going to go through and if, no, if, some, if they run out of food, I will not eat, okay? So we want you to eat because I'm going to go last, all right? But if you're, if, you're old, if you're 70 years or older, then you feel free to go ahead and slip out when I start praying. But l- allow them to go first, okay? Let me pray with, for us. Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, I want to thank you for Cindy Lou. And Lord, for how you've worked in her life, spiritually speaking, how she serves in this church, her faith to you and her faithfulness to you, Lord, is a tremendous example for myself. Lord, I've known Cindy Lou for over 20 years. Her children have spent the night at my house. Mine have spent the night at her house. Her and Freddie are just wonderful people. And Father, we pray that this money that is received today would be a blessing to their life. Lord, help them to be able to pay their bills. Lord, I can't imagine the financial burden that this can be on someone. But Lord, she's a part of East Taylorsville Baptist Church. She's, our, she's a part of our family. And Lord, I pray that her family today would come alongside her and bless her financially. Thank you for every person who helped cook the barbecue. Thank you for our Baptist men and for what they do, Lord. It's so easy to overlook uh, how much work this is. Thank you for every person who made desserts for us today. Lord, for the cake auction, I pray that you would bless. Thank you for those ladies. And I pray that, Lord, we'd raise a lot of money through that as well. And, Father, I want to thank you that we can fellowship in this way together. Father, we just want to thank you for that. Thank you that we belong to such a, a strong, loving church. And Father, thank you for the food we're about to eat, and we pray that you bless it to our bodies for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. God bless you, and you're dismissed. Hope to see you.